Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for War and Peace, Book 5 and Chapter 19. This easy shift in Boris and his general attitude towards Napoleon is contrasted by that of the army, who Tolstoy notes went on experiencing a mixed feeling of anger, contempt and fear for Bonaparte and the French. How well do you think the peace treaty will go over with the people of Russia, both the aristocracy and among the peasants? Why the tension between Boris and Rostov? What has happened to their relationship since the beginning of the book? And do you think Rostov will succeed in securing a pardon for Denisov? Warren Kovofifi says, Those on the more diplomatic side of the war appear to have a much more leisurely attitude towards the French. We saw a similar situation when André travelled to speak with the Austrian Emperor. Seems to me that those who don't have to really deal with the battles are more brutal realities and more brutal realities of war are quick to move on and to be cordial with the French, while the Russian troops are much more sceptical and weary. I think these attitudes would be the same between the aristocrats and the peasants. It's interesting seeing the difference between Rostov and Boris after the paths they've chosen with their military careers. Rostov has been much more in the thick of it, while Boris seems to work more behind the scenes. I think Rostov, with the things he's seen and gone through, can't forget that the French were enemies as quickly as someone in Boris's position. Boris doesn't think petitioning the Tsar would be a good idea, but it appears he's going to after Rostov's insistence. Oh, this is in refers to getting uh, a pardon for Denisov. Uh, I'm wondering if this maybe will actually make things worse for Denisov, since Boris said that Alexander responds severely to these kinds of things. But perhaps he'd be more merciful with peace negotiations ongoing. Acoustic Eel says, wait... So is the war still going on at this point? Was the battle at Austerlitz the final defeat of the Russians? I must have missed something. Is Napoleon that charismatic that he can convince Russian officers to be friends with the French officers? I am confusion. Apicaliaxo said, I'm no expert, so anyone feel free, feel free to correct me. My understanding is that there were several Napoleonic wars over the course of 10 to 15 years, We've been following the first campaign, the War of the, War of the Third Coalition, which ended in the aftermath of Austerlitz and included the surrender of Austria. The War of the Fourth Coalition began soon after with Russia, Prussia and Britain, among others, fighting the French. We've missed most of this war with Nikolai and Andre being away from the action. Nip Napoleon has been moving north and is nearing the Russian border, so if it wasn't the end of the Russians at Austerlitz, it probably is now. I think Tolstoy is just showing in his chapter the divergence of Nikolai and Boris's experiences. Yeah, I think at this point of the book, um, there is a peace treaty between them and the French. So I think, technically, at the moment, they're not enemies. That's uh, my understanding, at least. But, yeah, you can, be, you can understand why you know, people like Rostov are still a bit cautious of being too friendly with the French after what they've been through on their behalf. All right, let's read the next chapter straight on with it. Chapter 20. It goes like this. Rostov had come to Tilsit the day least suitable for a petition on Denisov's behalf. He could not himself go to the general in attendance as he was in Mufti and had come to Tilsit without permission to do so. And Boris, even 
had he wished to, could not have done so on the following day. On that day, June 27, the preliminaries of peace were signed. The emperors exchanged decorations. Alexander received the Cross of the Legion of Honour and Napoleon the Order of St. Andrew of the First Degree. And a dinner had been arranged for the evening, given by a battalion of the French Guards to the Preobrazhensk Battalion. The emperors were to be present at that banquet. Rostov felt so ill at ease and uncomfortable with Boris that when the latter looked in after summer, he pretended to be asleep and early next morning went away, avoiding Boris, in his civilian clothes and a round hat. He wandered about the town, staring at the French and their uniforms, and at the streets and houses where the Russian and French emperors were staying. In a square he saw tables being set up, and preparations made for the dinner. He saw the Russian and French colours draped from side to side of the streets with huge monograms, A and N. In the windows of the houses also flags and bunting were displayed. Boris doesn't want me, want to help me, and I don't want to ask him. That's settled, thought Nicholas. All is over between us, but I won't leave here without having done all I can for Denisov, and certainly not without getting his letter to the Emperor. The Emperor, he, he is here, thought Rostov, who had unconsciously returned to the house where Alexander lodged. Saddled horses were standing before the house and the suite were assembling, evidently preparing for the Emperor to come out, I may see him at any moment, thought Rostov. If only I were to hand the letter direct to him and tell him all. Could they really arrest me for my civilian clothes? Surely not. He would understand on whose side justice lies. He understands everything, knows everything. Who can be more just, more magnanimous than he? And even if they did arrest me for being here, what would it matter? Thought he, looking at an officer who was entering the house that, emperor, that the emperor occupied. After all, people do go in. It's all nonsense. I'll go in and hand the letter to the Emperor myself, so much the worse for Drubetsky, who drives me to it. And suddenly, with a determination he himself did not expect, Rostov felt for the letter in his pocket and went straight to the house. No, I won't miss my opportunity now, as I did it after Austerlitz, he thought, expecting every moment to meet the monarch and conscious of the blood that rushed to his heart at the thought. I will fall at his feet and beseech him, he will lift me up, will listen, and will even thank me. I am happy when I can do good, but to remedy injustice is the greatest happiness, Rostov fancied the sovereign saying, and passing people who looked after him with curiosity, he entered the porch of the emperor's house. A broad staircase led straight up from the entry, and to the right he saw a closed door. Below, under the staircase, was a door leading to the lower floor. Whom do you want? Someone inquired. To hand in a letter, a petition to his majesty, said Nicholas, with a tremor in his voice. A petition, this way, to the officer on duty. He was shown the door leading downstairs, only it won't be accepted. On hearing this indifferent voice, Rostov grew frightened at what he was doing. The thought of meeting the emperor at any moment was so fascinating and consequently so alarming that he was ready to run away. But the official who had questioned him opened the door and Rostov entered. A short, stout man of about thirty, in white breeches and high boots and batiste shirt, that he had evidently only just put on, standing in that room, and his valet was buttoning on the back of his breeches a new pair of handsome silk-embroidered braces that, for some reason, attracted Rostov's attention. This man was speaking to someone in the adjoining room. A good figure and in her first bloom, he was saying, but on seeing Rostov he stopped short and frowned. "'What is it, a petition?' "'What is it?' asked the person in the other room. "'Another petitioner,' answered the man with the braces. 
Tell him to come later. He'll be coming out directly. We must go. Later, later. Tomorrow. It's too late. Rostov turned and was about to go, but the man in the braces stopped him. Whom have you come from? Who are you? I come from Major Zenozov, answered Rostov. Are you an officer? Lieutenant Count Rostov. What audacity. Hand it through your commander and go along with you. Go. And he continued to put on the uniform the valet handed him. Rostov went back into the hall and noticed that in the porch there were many officers and generals in full parade uniform, whom he had to pass. Cursing his temerity, his heart sinking at the thought of finding himself at any moment face to face with the emperor and being put to shame and arrested in his presence, fully alive now to the impropriety of his conduct and repenting of it, Rostov, with downcast eyes, was making his way out of the house through the brilliant suite when a familiar voice called him and a hand detained him. "'What are you doing here, sir, in civilian dress?' asked a deep voice. It was a cavalry general who had obtained the Emperor's special favour during this campaign and who had formerly commanded the division in which Rostov was serving. Rostov, in dismay, began justifying himself, but seeing the kindly, jocular face of the general, he took him aside and, in an excited voice, told him the whole affair, asking him to intercede for Denisov, whom the general knew. Having heard Rostov to the end, the general shook his head gravely. I'm sorry, sorry for that fine fellow. Give me the letter. Hardly had Rostov handed him the letter and finished explaining Denisov's case when hasty steps and the jingling of spurs were heard on the stairs, and the general, leaving him, went to the porch. The gentlemen of the emperor's suite ran down the stairs and went to their horses. Hain, the same groom who had been at Austerlitz, led up the emperor's horse, and the faint creak of a footstep Rostov knew at once was heard on the stairs. Forgetting the danger of being recognised, Rostov went close to the porch, together with some inquisitive civilians, and again, after two years, saw those features he adored. The same face and same look and step, the same unison of majesty and mildness, and the feeling of enthusiasm and love for his sovereign rose again in Rostov's soul in all of its old force. In the uniform of the Priorbrazensk Regiment, white chamois leather breeches and high boots, and wearing a star Rostov did not know, it was that of the Legion d'Honneur, the monarch came out into the port, putting on his gloves and carrying his hat under his arm. He stopped and looked about him, brightening everything around by his glance. He spoke a few words to some of the generals, and recognising the former commander of Rostov's division, smiled and beckoned to him. All the suite drew back, and Rostov saw the general talking for some time to the emperor. The emperor said a few words to him and took a step towards his horse. Again, the crowd of members of the suite and the street gazers, among whom was Rostov, moved nearer to the emperor, stopping beside his horse with his hand on the saddle. The emperor turned to the cavalry general and said in a loud voice, evidently wishing to be heard by all, I cannot do it, general, I cannot, because the law is stronger than I and he raised his foot to the stirrup. The general bowed his head respectfully, and the monarch mounted and rode down the street at a gallop. Beside himself with enthusiasm, Rostov ran after him with the crowd. All right, there's another chapter, chapter 20. Rostov gets another look at the emperor, fangirling away. Have your say about this chapter, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow.